0: Uh, Hello, and welcome back to Tea Time in Nerd Space to the Nth Dimension. I'm Yali, your host, and with me are a few guest hosts.
1: Hello, I'm Tomer. I'm mainly a PC gamer, and I mostly play card games like Magic and Hearthstone.
2: I'm Daniel. Uh, I'm also a nerd, as are my hosts.
3: I'm Nadav. Everyone here are nerds, but uh, me too, I guess. I play Magic the Gathering a lot, and I I like a lot of things, really. But the main thing is Magic the
0: Gathering right now. Okay, so our first subject for the day concerns um, a new expansion for a video game, which I personally really like, called Stellaris. Stellaris is a 4X 4X game, which for those who don't know, stands for uh, Expand, Explore, Exploit, and Exterminate. Uh, the most n- commonly known for x game is Civilization. And Stellaris is a forex x game with, in which you play uh, an empire in a galaxy and seek to expand, explore, and, you know, uh, do all those kind of things. The new expansion is called Federations and it allows for a few things in, it allows for the entire galaxy, all the civilizations that don't seek to actively destroy all other life to uh, create a federation and make decisions now this allows for a really nice, not really exploit but a new way to win which is to do um, what Palpatine said, I am the senate well, the, the Federation has an option to make a permanent member's council, like the UN's Security Council. And one of the optional decisions there is to decrease the number of seats. So you can theoretically make this, permanent, this um, security uh, council and then reduce the number of seats in, until you're the only person there, thus becoming the Senate. And about 4X games in general, I personally kind of like them because, first, my instincts are shit. So even though I really enjoy games like Doom Eternal, I'm really bad at them, and 4X games do not require any instincts or ability to move fast whatsoever. However, they are strategy games, and Stellaris particularly is good in the role-playing aspects too because different civilizations have different policies and ways of seeing things and your advisor and different events happen determined by your civilizations um, attitude towards sorts of things whether they're more spiritual or uh, things like that
1: so i'm not really um, i'm i'm not really that kind of gamer you know with these strategy games uh, uh, the 4x game as as the forex games, as you said, um, but they always fascinated me. So, if you want, to, uh, if you would, c- can you tell me what what are the um, the basic things that you need to know t- to start playing? Like, they seem awfully complicated. These games, many resources and and a lot of tr- skill trees and other stuff. So, for a beginner. Forex gamer, what you would you recommend to do?
0: Well, um, first of all, some Forex games are more complex than others. That's definite. Um, so games that's more Forex games that are more fit for beginners are games such as Sid Meier's Civilization and Stellaris because they're a bit more simple. Now, uh, what I recommend for beginners is first to start with those games. And the games usually have tutorials. Some games have better tutorials than others. But all in all, your first few games, you don't really have to win. You can play really shitty. Specifically in Stellaris, I really like the fact that, sure, there are some options that are clearly advantageous to others, but the role-playing aspect of the game is really fun. You can select things for your empire and things to do that just really fit And they're not bad. They're not the optimal play, maybe, but they're going to be fun. And you're going to learn the game that way. And sure, if you don't win the first few times, that's not really a problem because you enjoy it all the way. So just start playing and you'll get into it.
1: Um, You you said role-playing, but I don't really get it. I I always saw these generals or other things that pop up on your... uh, on your screen when you talk with other um, factions in the games, but do you really role play in them? How how do you how does the role playing aspect come to yeah, well happen there?
0: Well, I'll talk for Stellaris in particular. Um, one of the great things in Stellaris, you have a voice advisor. Sure, that's in most of the games, but the thing is. Uh, depending on your uh, government and the way your uh, entire empire acts, the voice advisor, the voice advisor can say different things in different tones of voice. So, for example, if your empire is uh, pretty genocidal, the voice advisor might react to things your your uh, the other empires do is like, uh, "This science ship is approaching." Uh, this science this. So if a science ship of another faction is approaching your borders, the advisor might say um, fresh meat for the feeding our populace is approaching system, whatever. However, if, you're, uh, mach- if your uh, empire is completely uh, mechanical, you're all AIs, uh, he might say... Uh, Autonomous drone number 734 is approaching the borders of system, whatever. And even though you personally don't, you don't use voices yourself, but you can really get into it by hearing those things and seeing how things happen differently by your decisions and get into the way you manage your um, empire.
1: Oh, I see. So, So I just like decide to play the... Genocidal um, dictatorship thing, and and uh, choose all the choices that I have to do, and then I have like m- many different aspects of the game that that um, sh- show that show me that makes this atmosphere or something that yeah it seems nice
0: exactly the the game fit the game makes itself make makes it fits your decisions so that it feels as if what you're doing actually influences how the game works and it's really fun and um it seems we've pretty much got everything out of this subject so let's move on to our next subject
1: All right so i'll be leading this one um Almost every game community ha- has some people that make content, like the streamers or the YouTubers. It's the critical roles or the limited resources for magic or whatever. Every every game has this. So it's, and it seems like the dream profession, like doing, playing the games you love and um, making a. Com- and making community a following around you. But I want to ask, how realistic is is this whole business? Am I really going to start am I really going to start making content for a game and then just growing and and, and making a career out of it? Just living off the the game, the content, the stream, the streams, the the videos. Um. So I want to ask you, uh, what do you think? Ca- can this really happen to anyone? Who tries hard enough and works well, and works hard enough, or are there things that need to change first before this thing becomes an, um so- something forever so that a valid option for everyone
2: well do you think that it's possible like not only to make a career out of it but also specifically to get um well known perhaps is the correct term or famous if you want to go with that thing um do you think it's viable for people also that are not for example in the states and things like that you think it's like only very specific people in only very specific subjects?
1: Well, that's the thing. I think I think, I think uh, right now there there are uh, many problems before we can actually make it a viable career. I, I don't really I don't really think it's the um, the state or the or the origin of the creator problem because. Nowadays, you can share your videos on YouTube or uh, or your streams on Twitch, and every and everyone has a chance to get them. But um, but I think it's it's more of a problem of there is not uh, there is not enough there is not enough people to that can stream. There is not enough people that can make videos. I think that the problem is that. There's maybe two, three, ten—I don't know—a finite amount of people that can that are famous in every community, and the the chance of you being that one is abysmal, and that's really what what uh, turns me off about this whole uh, career choice is that from all the people in the world that tries to stream the specific game you want to play, are you going to be the one to be the next world champion or the next PewDiePie or whatever? Uh, I don't, I don't think that that's a viable choice you can have. The problem is that, that you, you can all, only be you can only be a streamer or, or youtuber as a hobby before before it gets serious and as and as a hobby you can't really do it this on the same level as as people do it full time and then it's really hard to grow to grow it's it's really hard to stay it's really hard to stay in business to stay at that hobby and uh, and I think that the problem lies in the on the platforms in the pl- in the platforms that organize this whole thing. Well, Twitch, YouTube, Mixer—I don't know where you stream. They uh, they are all big corpora- corporations, big platforms. They want to bring views, and they want they want their creators to. <laughs> To make money and stay there, but but they don't really care about the people. They don't really care about anyone, and their their models are not helping. Mm -hmm. They're not helping the new streamer, the new the new YouTuber that enters the platform to really stay there and 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 grow, make an audience for himself. If you try now, I think there's no chance that any of us will actually get anyone to watch him outside of his close circle of friends. That's the thing, that there's not really any um any chance.
2: But then again, like you you have to remember that most people who started did not start full-time. Most people who started being streamers or YouTubers or anything really like a new media star, they started as people who just tried to do this for fun and then slowly grew. So although the market is oversaturated with everything concerning this, still, there might come, you might come out on top.
3: I also wanted this, how I don't think anyone can realistically go into streaming expecting to strike gold and make a career out of it. It always starts as a hobby and I think you need to know that that no one is going to help you, except for the people who watch you, so you really need to, to connect with them, to get them interested, to get them to recommend more people, start growing this community and and only then you can maybe start going more into it, and maybe going full-time streaming. And also wanted to mention how uh, a lot of it is on a technical side. So if you just start streaming with a webcam and a, and a bad microphone, it's also going to make it just harder. And you see all these fancy animations and high-quality equipment that people have these days. So that's also a big thing. But you can't just go out and buy a fancy camera because if people don't connect with you, then you just
0: wasted your money. I think it's also a matter of finding your niche. Um, you, not every streamer can just start. I mean, today, you can't just start and go into the subjects that have the most streamers in them. You can't just go and have be a general Let's Player and think you're going to get big in that way. No, I think if you want to start streaming today, you need to find a niche that your. Perhaps not even good at, but somewhere that there aren't, there isn't a lot of streamers, but everywhere I think there is enough audience because the percentage of streamers to audience is tiny. For every one streamer that people actually watch, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of viewers. So if you find a niche, a, a specific game, a specific subject, maybe a theme or something like that that other people, or maybe very few other people do, then I think that's gonna help you uh, grow faster and succeed.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the good part. The people, the the people that that surround it, and um, that's the, that might be the good the strategy to do it because. Nowadays, it's not what, what it was 10 years ago when everyone could just start their YouTube channel and maybe they would uh, and their generic YouTube channel and maybe, stop, maybe get famous. Now we really do need to have a plan and, and the people surrounding it. But, you, but yes, yeah, you can make it. We can make it.
0: So, I think uh, that's enough with this subject. And on to the next subject.
2: Everyone likes Rick and Morty, right, guys? It's such a lovely show. Like, I think there's a consensus. It's one of those shows that most people at least 30 and down really enjoy. I honestly think uh, here's my hot take. I really think that this previous season has been kind of disappointing um considering the fact that last season we saw this sort of like development in characters or maybe we we finally like Morty finally grew up and sort of became his own person and now it's gone they just kind of i mean sure he, he acts change he, he changed but there's no arc There's don't try to tell a complete story which is fine but after last season they just forgot about
1: it we're talking about season 3 right?
2: Uh, well season 4
1: actually uh, four, 4 sorry
2: yeah it's season 4 it's the, the newest season actually the, to, to those who don't know sorry um, the it, we've gotten 5 episodes already Uh, They're also on Netflix, if anyone uh, who has Netflix wants to see them. I'm sure you can also find them online and everything. But uh, we've gotten five episodes. Then there's a break, which is now. And there are soon soon to be more episodes coming. Um, But it seems, first of all, the hype show kind of has died down. Everyone's like, oh, okay, shock humor, that's fine so now they need to rely on their characters and their uh, storytelling skills, and they're not doing that
0: currently. I mean, it's funny, but it's not much else. So um, the last episode I watched from the new season was the one with the snakes and the time travel, or was the... I'm pretty sure that's the last one. Um, Perhaps not. You'll inform me later, I guess. But um, personally, I kind of like that episode. Because um, unlike a lot of shows, it uh, uses time travel in a pretty different method. I mean, sure, it's not as if everything is all perfect. But until now, the show uh, even referenced the fact that it doesn't touch time travel by having a box on, uh, on the shelf labeled time travel stuff that's left untouched for the entire show until that episode. I mean, I don't think they touch it during that episode, but that's the first episode that actually um, works with time travel for the entire entire plot of the episode. So that's one thing I like about the episode, about how it uses time travel in very funny ways, because many uh, time travel movies today use time travel in a pretty stupid way. I mean, they they think about it as as a sort of um, plot device, as um, perhaps a MacGuffin or something like that, to, oh, we need the time machine. And they don't think about all the things they can do with the time machine because, oh, he stole the time machine. Let's hop in another time machine and chase after him. Why won't they just go back in time and prevent him from taking the time machine? They can do that. It's a time machine. However, Rick and Morty, the, that episode at least, uses time travel in a more, I wouldn't say reasonable, but it's not a reasonable way. It's just a, more, a way that makes more sense. Also, I kind of like the, the entire snake culture thing, where all the snakes use their tails as uh, hands and all the writing is pretty squiggly and snake like. And I thought it's pretty funny. Now, you see, my
2: problem with the new season is really not the episodes individually. I, I agree with you. I think the Snake episode was great. I really think really fun. Uh, also, it wasn't the last episode, I, I think. I think the last episode was with the toilet. Um, if you've seen it, it doesn't matter. Either way, I think the episodes individually are very good. I think they're very reminiscent to season one, actually. But um, because we've gotten used to, again, it's in air quotes, used to all the the kind of humor they've introduced into the uh, mainstream animation world. They need now to real to real uh, to realize that they can't just uh, rely on the, their humor. They need something more. They need some kind of character development. They maybe need. Uh, something maybe an overarching uh narrative which currently they really don't have. they had one previously kind of about like the um the the um Beth and Jerry's marriage and the children going up and now it's gone. they just don't like it's all back to how it used to be, which is maybe kind of the point, but if it is, they're really not pointing your attention towards it. Maybe they will in the second half. I really don't know. We'll see.
3: Yeah, that's that's what I think. That For now, it's just the five first episodes of the season. And in many other shows, whenever a new season starts, the first couple of episodes are usually just getting back in business, getting back with the characters, familiarizing yourself with the world again, just to remind you kind of how it goes. And then as we go deeper into the season, they dive more into the main plot and the, the character arcs. So so I think maybe it, it's fine that for now they focused on just trying to make it funny. And for example, like the heist episode, I, I don't remember laughing at any episode of any show as much as I did that episode. I just loved it. But yeah, I think if we wait for them to continue, it will get better more into the characters and also they've they've been really rushed into making these episodes from the fan base who just demanded more and they can't keep up so they just released what they had and we'll have to wait for the rest
2: fair enough um it it definitely is a possibility i don't know um although i, I mean I will say that it's already five episodes down, so I really hope they're getting to it. Uh, Hopefully, in the next couple of episodes, they'll realize they need something more. We'll see. I mean, I suppose we kind of have to. Uh,
0: So, if that's everything, we'll move on to our last subject for the day.
3: Okay. So, in... Hold on, what is it? In a few weeks, uh, Magic the Gathering will be releasing a new set release it's called Ikoria Lair of Behemoths and I just wanted to talk about it because I am so excited it is everything I want the thing I got into Magic just uh, about two years ago around the release of Ixalan and the dinosaurs in that set were just my jam They, I loved everything about them that's the main thing that got me into the game and made me stay. And now they're making this whole set that's all about these big, stupid monsters. And I am just the most excited I've ever been. And I just wanted to hear what you think.
1: Oh, man, am I excited? I started to think about this set a long time ago. Actually, the card that sparked my curiosity and my theory crafting skills was the Anset card from uh, Un- Unsanctioned, I think. That has the word "whenever a creature mutates," and I think, hear me out. I I think that Icoria has has the keyword "mutate." Now, it may be two things that I thought about. They may be both wrong. They may be both right. The first thing is, and of course, mutate. And a card with a card can make. Your creature mutate, and when a creature a creature mutates, you put on it a keyword counter. What's a keyword counter? It's a counter that signifies that yeah, that signifies trample or flying or vigilance or whatever other keyword like double strike, and it makes the creatures have uh, that keyword. So I think that's a possibility, and then we have like creatures that say. If this when this creature mutates, fight another creature, or uh, if this creature has three or more keyword counters on it, you I don't know, make a token, win the game, whatever you want. And the other possibility I thought I thought about is a new a new aura subtype mutation. This maybe will be a small. Small buffs or big buffs or uh, what, whatever, and then um, the, the creatures can like uh, count the number of auras on them, or, or say whenever an aura uh, comes into play or what, whatever else. And I think that that would be really cool.
0: Uh, they did. Uh, Wizards of the Coast did uh, say that mutate is a keyword that's going to happen in Icoria. And uh, in the boosters, there are going to be keyword counters, like there were in uh, what set was it? Uh, with the, for for embalming and things like that, and exerting, there were exert counters. Amonkhet? Yes, for Amoncat, there were brick counters and exert counters, so that you could cut out from the last card. Uh, I'm not sure if it was instead of a token uh, and or in addition to a token.
1: In Ammonkhet, there were tokens. In Ammonkhet, there were actually double-sized tokens because of the of the
0: Yeah, so there's going they're going to be in booster packs, and um, so it's they're not going to be ores. This is going to be an ability on a creature, but uh, it does have a few more new things. Actually, there's uh, one of the counters is of a keyword that doesn't exist yet, called foreshadow. And we don't know what that is, but but they they said it's there. So it's a thing. And also there are a few new creature types. Uh, They're going to add both, uh, I think, otter and shark. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and also uh, it's going to include more brush, at least one more brush wag, which was a creature type in Mirage that has one creature with that creature type. Brushwag
1: <laughs> Really? That's that's official? For shadow counters? Wow. Can't believe I... <laughs> I was actually spot on on this. I thought about it, like, a few months ago. Cool. Yeah,
3: um, Mark Rozon just made uh, Tumblr post with a lot of points, um, kind of teasing the set. So, yeah, there are apparently 13 different kinds of counters in the set, including probably plus one plus one counters and loyalty counters, and apparently foreshadow counters. But the, the other 10, so that is the main speculation, is that it's going to be keywords. Um, also, the creature types, I am, they're just so cool. There's gonna be a Nightmare Squirrel. A Nightmare Squirrel? Otter. They're making a squirrel in a standard legal set, and it's going to be so good, at least I hope so. Also, a, a Demon Kraken. I, I honestly just, I can't wait. I'm so pumped, I just wanna skip ahead to when it's already available, and I wanna have every single card
0: in my hand. I can't wait to build a brushwag tribal. Another thing that
2: we need to think. uh, Another thing I think we need to think about it is, uh, well, clearly green will be very in this set since it's layer of behemoth. But um, how about uh, red? Perhaps it's aggro. How about blue, black, and white? I don't think any. Well, white kind of needs the help, but generally they're. Two out of three fine colors in a very good spot in Magic history, and currently in Standard. Specifically, I think that we do need to think about white because white uh, in Exelon got very well treated with dinosaurs, but generally isn't very aggroing necessarily. It could be, but we do need to think about what does it mean in the color pie.
0: Well, um, most sets in I think all the sets except for one until now were pretty much even between all the colors. But there was one set, uh, I'm not sure which one, maybe Marquee and Mass, not sure, that was mostly black. And that set, I mean, th- that was a precedent that there can be a set that focuses mostly on one color. Now, obviously there were cards of all of the colors in that set. It's not as if they printed only black cards, but there were more black cards and nearly all of the multicolored cards, if not all of them, included black. And uh, that's a pretty cool thing to do in a set. It's like, yes, this set is mostly black. So Ikoria, maybe, probably not the way Wizards is designing sets now, but might be a mostly green set.
3: Also, every, every color, has a way of getting big creatures. White usually does it more defensively, with higher toughnesses and maybe a low power, because that's just what fits in White's uh, philosophy and the way White magic works. Green is just the best at making all-around giant creatures, but Black also has like demons, and Blue can have sea monsters. Red can do also kind of things a little similar to green, not quite but it gets close, so
2: every color could have its monsters. That's true.
1: But there is one thing that may be a little disappointing in that set. With uh, the cor- all current events and stuff, I don't know if we'll have a pre-release.
2: That's also true.
3: That is the... Yeah, that is the one very unfortunate thing. I was really looking forward to it now. it's probably not going to happen. but at least we got arena, so I'm hoping they can elevate that to what it deserves to be and what it could be.
0: Actually, on the subject of arena and the current things happening with the coronavirus and everything. So wizards um, does does it did does will do an event. Because Friday Night Magic can't really happen with, you know, this isolation. But um, for the next three weeks or so, um, every Friday for 24 hours, there is an event on Arena. The the first two, I'm not sure if they're all free or only the first two are free, but the first two events... Uh, The first is with Challenger decks, in which there are pre-built decks, and no matter if this is the only game of Arena you're going to play, or you're an Arena expert that's put in thousands of dollars into it, you're getting the same decks, so that's not going to be um, a clear disadvantage for people who until now went to Friday Night Magic and now are going to play a little bit of Arena. And uh, the week after that, there's an event I'm really excited for, which allows people to which allows everybody to brew decks with all of the cards. For 24 hours for this event, you can make deck with all of the cards being free. And that's exciting because you can try out decks with lots of uh, cards that usually you'd want to conserve before getting them. And you want to know whether you should get them or not, so you can try them in this uh, new event. And I think that's pretty cool
1: yeah but how are they going to make a prelist on, on arena? The sealed events are not true tournaments that you can make in a store, and they're also not the same cost. so I don't know where do you get the prizes? Will there be prizes? I know that these events on arena have sleeves that you can get if you take uh, if you ask your store for and um, for code or something, but sleeves are not packs or cards that you can use af- afterwards. So, well, I don't know what, what will happen with the pre-release, but I hope it will be fine.
3: There was one article where they said there, that the stores might be able to offer some sort of pre-release at home experience. Which, I don't know what that means, but you, we will probably be able to go to a store, get a pre-release kit, and I don't know, maybe have smaller pods playing at someone's house in a smaller group, which might be fine. Or, if not, you at least get the pre-release kit, get the physical cards for yourself, and I, it's still really bum. I'm really bummed there's not gonna be a big event like, like always. It's it's the best time for Magic every three months to pre-release. It's the most fun I have. But uh, we'll see what happens.
1: We must be optimistic. Maybe there will be a pre-release.
0: So I think um, we're finished for today with this. So a few closing words. If you want to find us and follow us, we're on nerdspace.podbean.com. Uh, um, the opening tune is created by Iva, which is an AI that generates music per your demand, and it's a pretty cool thing. And uh, thanks for being with us. Please go on and uh, listen to our next episode if it's out yet, and if not, uh, it will be out eventually, probably, maybe, perhaps